Hello, welcome to the Bossit Podcast with Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This podcast is released every week and is an over-the-shoulder look of a frank and candid discussion between two experienced software executives, providing you with useful tips, techniques, and the latest concepts to help you grow your software business in the fast-paced digital age. So let's get into it. Here is Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This is Mark to Michael. A bit like Mark to Mindy. Are you there? <laughs> Mark, I'm there. How are you? That's a bit of a test for you, actually. Yeah, so you got. Do you, do you remember the series, the American yeah, series? Yeah, you got me by surprise there. <laughs> I was, I was just thinking earlier, Mark and Mindy. Wow, that's a series from the past. <laughs> quite, quite humorous. So, what have you been doing this week, Mark? I'm talking to business owners, as yes. usual. Um, yes. quite interesting. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about because talking to two business owners, very different businesses and at different stages as well in their process. And it just reminded me so many things really got some, had some very interesting conversations with them. And I jotted down a few sort of uh, salient points that I thought would be worth mentioning in this podcast. Um, I think with both of them, one of the things that came up and something I do want to discuss is about business owners becoming a slave to their business. That's a good one. Yeah, so exactly. that's something I would uh, like to discuss and uh, we'll go into a bit more detail, perhaps that later on. What about yourself? How's, how's your week? I, I, just, um, I just recorded the last of a whole series of my YouTube show because I'm going to stop with it and I'm do something else. Okay. And uh, it's called the Sales Acceleration Show. And the last episode we did in virtual reality. So I was in this agency, the biggest uh, one in, in Belgium, actually, that records these things. And I have to say, Mark, I was for the in a long time ago, because you hear so much about VR and you see the headsets. Yeah. And you, but I hadn't found something really pragmatic except gaming and, and you know, experience. I get it. Yes. And I asked these guys, how do you sell this thing? And he says, well, it's simple, Michael. I go to my customers and I actually have one of these headsets that you can buy. I mean, they're like working independently, so you don't need to drag a computer along, which is another story. Yeah. And he says, hi, I'm this guy. I'm doing that and that. Here, let me, let, let me just show you what it does. And then they put <laughs> it on their head immediately. And he has a, an iPad with it. And so the others, if there are two, three people, he lets them see. And then he says, he guides them through the experience. And he says, we win almost every single time. And on that moment, I had this click in my head and I'm thinking everybody selling a product needs to do it because you make the intangible tangible and the experience is really, really good. So I'm like, this is the golden sales tool. But I think hardware just evolved like only a few weeks ago. You got to that stage yes. in that it's the moment to do this, Mark. We should go do this. <laughs> now. Yes. Sell, sell the experience. Just give, give them the all experience. about the experience and it's all about touching and, and because you gain the trust. You know, it's attention. You get the attention when you do this trick. And two, it's about trust. When you, people can touch it, people can feel it, people can smell it, you trust it. Yes. But of course, there is some uh, practicalities. Don't overdo it. Don't give them vertigo and all of it. But I was, I mean, so Audi, for instance, just launched, um, you could configure a car live 
while you're sitting in the car. It changes around you. You can walk around. You can do all the things. It's an obvious one for a company like that. But you can do that much smaller scale when you're a, when you're a small business. Yeah. You just bring one of those headsets, give it to your sales guys. By the way, one of the things that people underestimate, a lot of sales guys are not proud of what they're presenting. So they're kind of not really pushing the limits. So make them proud. I mean, how cool is it if you say, hey, put this on? You're just happy to do it to other people, to give them the experience. So you'll have a really motivated team. You see, I'm all fired up, Mark. I, I want to, yeah, I, I need to talk about this to more people because I think it's, it's a golden opportunity we are not addressing at the moment. Absolutely. And I think from a sales perspective, it touches upon quite a, a number of points. And I think the main one is that, is that engagement, is capturing the engagement yep. of, of suspects. So many sales processes involve talking at people and boring them to death with long PowerPoint presentations and, exactly. and overloading exactly. them with lots and lots of stats and information. And here's a company that's saying, let's not do any of that. Just experience it. It's a, I suppose it's a bit like the car salespeople. Instead of talking about the car, they say, get in. I'll take you for a drive. Yeah. Or better still, a key. You, dri- yeah, you drive it. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's, that used to be called in a way. That's, that's the puppy dog sale, isn't it? That's how I bought my car, painfully enough. Yeah. Uh, here is a key. Have fun. And uh, two hours later, I said, okay, I want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I think I mentioned before, I, when I first started in sales, there was uh, some really, really old American films. And I think it's Bussy and Greaves, something very similar to that. But I, I think they were even in black and white. They'd been made in the 1950s. And they spoke about these different sales techniques. And one of them was the puppy dog sale. And I often think of that. But you think of how it relates here is you want to sell somebody a puppy. Do you take them through a book tell it, telling them all about the Labrador? Or do you let them take the lovable Labrador home with them to meet the kids? You know, that's the difference. Is on, and that's you know that's how I ended up with chickens, right? <laughs> Remember? Yes. Was it, was it Rose? Let's not, let's Rose not the go into office, dogs, puppies, and chickens, right? Today <laughs> we call it the chicken sale. Then shall we? We yeah. bring out yeah. a new version of it, a twist. <laughs> the chicken sale. It's yeah, chicken sale. virtual reality. Is, is is very interesting. I've seen that uh, in a number of areas and I've looked into it um, for a couple of reasons. Once, one, I was involved in raising some investment for a company that was in more in sort of the area of gaming and they wanted to make that next step into virtual reality. And I went to a, a company, a specialist company in virtual reality based in central London and mm-hmm. they took me through and showed me where it was at that stage. This was probably three years ago. Yeah. And one of these things, things have evolved dramatically now. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this was quite impressive. They had an example and I think Jaguar being you were using it whereby you could put these goggles on and, and you, as you moved your head round, it was like looking around this new prototype car that they were putting together. But the most impressive one was, and, and, and I could see it working great at parties, is you put these goggles on it and it made you look, feel like you were at the top of a skyscraper. Yeah, yeah. And That's between it. the skyscrapers was this plank which you had to walk along. Yeah. Classic. And they said yeah. it's great when people have had a few drinks to swatch them. I mean, it, <laughs> and it is, it does give you a, a, a very strong sensation. Yeah, I agree. Right. So I've seen everything that with sales and it's actually not so expensive anymore to make because these guys were just using for this 
recording, I thought they would go all high-end. And they basically used the camera, which is like a three-dimensional camera that they bought uh, online for like 300 pounds or something. And they showed me the effect. And I was looking, and I'm thinking, good God, that's already more than enough for yeah. most companies. I mean, yes. you don't need to go really high-end because you lose a fortune. I mean, not most co- not all companies have the marketing budget like an Audi, of course. No, 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 sure. Are you seeing are you seeing virtual reality being used more in business in practical Yes so I'm really I'm really thinking of it's the first time that I'm really thinking of most businesses that sell products can use this and they can leverage it in a good way not in the it's it's a nice experience but you, you said exactly what most people do with it it's they do the building thing or the walking the planking or the yes. but that's fun and games I'm talking about real business. Here is a product. You can look at it at all sizes. You can walk through. Let me show you the size of the other product. Like, I mean, just even printer and copier manufacturing, you don't need to go to the showroom. Here is a thing. That's what it does. I'll let you feel it. I mean, that could work really well. So, So any product? Most products. Probably some will be hard. Yes. That's an interesting idea. Just an idea. So I'm going to find somebody that's going to want to want me to try this, and let's go and sell it to some people and see what happens. What about what about it being used in sales training? Yeah, well, the one the one nut I haven't cracked is the real consulting approach. How would you do it? So in a training, you could actually let people experience how it would feel to sit in that classroom while somebody's teaching. So yeah. you feel the energy, you feel the vibe. That's interesting, but that's fun for five minutes. So uh, I'm just wondering how can you, when you have a consultancy business, let's say a large scale consultancy business, how would you leverage the experience of the consulting you're giving? I don't know yet, Mark. I mean, just, just this morning, eh? it's only one hour ago. So I'm thinking this has massive potential. Let me dig deeper, figure it out, come back in a few podcasts and say, I figured it out. I'm going to explain it to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, like, I'd like to hear more about that. That's, that's yep. interesting. I did see it um, being used in the healthcare sector, or it was it was being prototyped, put it that way, whereby healthcare uh, carers, when they would approach a patient um, at their bedside, they would be able to see the information on that patient dynamically, automatically updated around the patient. Yeah. But that's something that could work for something like Google Glass or something while you're wearing. Yes. But you can't have this massive headset on your on your head while you're <laughs> trying to no, no, walk no. towards the patient. <laughs> no, it's that, actually that's not. It's not true virtual reality there because no, that's AR more. It that's is. augmented reality. O- that's augmented. very different. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about really because I didn't want to touch AR because I'm. I'm uh, well, AR look, is a is a combination of the two, isn't it? You're yeah, using but, part virtual reality, part. What, yeah, yeah, so reality. in essence, you're looking at the reality and it's augmented, meaning, for instance, you want to buy a coffee machine, then you look at your own table and there is a coffee machine. And you can have it in different colors, you can look at different locations. That's, for me, the AR experience, which actually in sales works really well for coffee machines and, and all of this stuff where you can look at your own location. I mean, IKEA, in your own living room, you can see how the closet would look like. That is a really classic AR that that will work really well. Yeah, that, I mean that that leads on to something else. Actually, I would I haven't meant to talk about this, but let's just go with the flow. I'm going to an artificial intelligence um, exhibition that's in London 
on Monday. Because uh, obviously that, mm -hmm. that's an area that's very, very hot. Um, my experience has been there's a lot of companies out there that are purporting to use artificial intelligence. It's not really. Um, they're mm -hmm. using it because it's hot at the moment. But I've seen, and I had a company come to me um, probably about a year ago in the area of security, and they were talking mm -hmm. about augmented intelligence of using AI that enabled actually monitoring of a, a whole host of different networks. So what they, what they were doing was saying that the best combination or the best results is, is the combination of artificial intelligence, but also trained operators. And what the artificial intelligence was doing was enable, enabling those yep. trained operators to make better decisions and to be able to oversee more security systems. Yep. And then that, that, that sort of, I thought, saw had a great deal of potential. It made yep. a lot of sense. There's been tests that have been done. I think the way that they tested it was that they were looking at uh, machines playing each other in chess and they found that the best results was somebody using a machine who was a very good chess player. You could get the highest results yeah. uh, working that way. I think at this this stage of evolution, absolutely. I also think there's a lot of artificial intelligence that's not really intelligent. That's basic, no. very rather simple stuff. Yes. Uh, but it's a hype. Uh, the really heavy-duty artificial intelligence is out there. But it's all about self-learning and all of these like self-constructing stuff. That's really interesting. I think for now, what you said is exactly the way to go. Mix both. And in a few years, probably when the hardware is ready, we will see some really scary stuff there. If, yes. we, if we believe the, uh, what's it called again? The, um, the point in time when the artificial intelligence becomes smarter than us, then we get really scared. Yes. The singularity, that's the word. Um, Yes. Yeah, but I, I do think there is a lot. Uh, I see a lot of, because, you know, I'm a lot into the startup scale-up scene. Yes. I, I talk to a lot of these companies, but when I ask them, they always tell me, yeah, Michael, there is a lot of, uh, you know, facade, you know, be making it, dressing it up. But but deep down, uh, there is some smart stuff, but we're not always there yet. Yeah, there's a, I think that there's a big problem, and especially when you have the technology companies out there that are, that there's a lot of hype and artificial intelligence is one of those areas, but I've seen it in the past in the area of um, just simple things, really, like the OCR, the, the data capture. Yeah. And there were companies that were reporting to be able to do things that they just really couldn't get close. You know, they were, they were forecasting the future now, and they couldn't do it. And the problem was that it became so prevalent that that sector of the industry was set back years because buyers became very cynical. And they felt yep. that they couldn't trust the people that they were talking to because the figures that at that time that they were saying they were able to achieve, well, it wasn't reality. The return no. on the investment wasn't return. And, and, and what happened was that it set that industry back a number of years. The, the funny thing is that actually now they are able to hit those figures genuinely, but it's taken a long time. And I don't know how much of that trust has come back. The market's probably moved away in many respects because it's no longer such a singular focus on that one element. OCR is seen as technology of the past, really. Um, yeah. It's moved on. I think it's a shame because I think that there could have been a lot more investment in that area. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, we've both spent a lot of time in the in, in that area. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a lot of perception. 
people think it's so obvious and easy to read a text and then when computers started it's just so difficult and and most of the time is the human part that that's you know like a wrinkle in the paper or something stupid that makes it unreadable yes and it, and again it it's it doesn't um replace experience in that area and i've got yeah. I've, I've got a client in that area who really demonstrates that very very well they're able to achieve really good results so you're obviously using technology but actually when you dig down it's it's their know-how that's where the real ip is the tools uh, you know and partly there is some ocr in there there's some workflow there's there's lots of different technologies that have been put together <clears throat> but it's not the tools the tools are available you, you you know and between most of them there's not a massive difference some are, are perhaps targeted for other areas but the real difference is the know-how of the person that can put that solution together and that, yeah. that's what really makes the difference. And they're a specialist. Yeah. And again, that's what makes the difference. I agree. I agree. Okay, so I started with VR. We ended up with artificial intelligence. So what have you been, <laughs> been up to, actually? <laughs> well, uh, as I said, I had a couple of interesting conversations that I thought were worth relaying in parts um, this week. And the, the common theme to both of them was about being a slave to the business. Yeah, true. That's what you said. Yeah, and, and, and I think to explain that, I think I'm talking to two passionate entrepreneurs, both been in, in, in the industry and running their business for a number of years and have, have enjoyed the process. But I think that what happens is that circumstances change. People's goals and objectives, when you first start a business or when you first join a business um, and, and hopefully, you, you know, you have your motivation, you have goals and reasons why you want to start that business then. Things change over time. I've, I've seen a lot of founders that have started a business because they've had a, an idea. They are technologists and they've seen an opportunity. Perhaps they've been working for a larger organization. That's a very, very common scenario mm -hmm. is, you know, perhaps a chief te technology officer working for a much larger organization has seen a, a, a nice niche and a solution there and quite often being part of a larger organization you can't always really really jump on that opportunity bigger companies they have other goals and objectives and they can also be slow moving and they've decided to break out on their own they've probably also wanted to do that for lifestyle changes i think yeah you know, you, you although, <laughs> although they don't always realize it's, no. <laughs> it's whatever they imagine it's not going to be that it's going to be tough <laughs> exactly yes and i think that's that often is is a growing awakening is that they start the business with passion they're doing things that they enjoy in, in creating this solution um i think that probably sometimes there's a financial target there Mm -hmm. and, and and often I've seen people who have started businesses and when they sit down and really look at it, they're, they're earning less money than when, when they were employed. That can be quite a, a difficult moment. And I, But I think also, even when the financial rewards are there, is that they can become a slave to the business and, and the lifestyle goals that they wanted to achieve are just not happening. That can often be the start of a conversation that I have with business owners when they're starting to look about, so what next? 
perhaps no, it no, is no. the time to sell. Um, and and we, we go through that normal sort of, what would this business be worth? That's always, you know, one of the first <laughs> targets. <laughs> They're always the question. Yeah. yeah. It's the only thing everybody wants to start with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and actually, one of the things one of the things that I thought was worth talking about today and, and where I start with my clients is, is talking about, you know, why did they start the business? What's the reality? But also the important thing is about what's next. So put aside the valuation, put aside whether you think, you know, we think it's going to be sold, whether you think it can be sold, how you, how you pull all of that deal together. What would you do next? Um, because less and less often now we're seeing, and I think, I think that's fortunate is that we're having people coming to us saying, I'm 65, I'm reaching retirement age and I want to sell the business. That's the wrong approach totally. Very rarely. That's very, that, isn't that more in a family context you will hear that kind of discussion? Um, it's a classic in family. My yes, son doesn't want think, to do it. Uh, oh, that kind of yes, thing. Yes, yes. I mean, the stats on that are very interesting. It's something that I'd observed, but I'd not really seen. I, no, I didn't have the, I'd never collated the stats. It's the family owned business where they hand it on to the next generation. And yeah. there's a 75% failure rate. I mean, that, that's quite shocking. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think there is a lot of psychology at play there where if you just give something to somebody, it doesn't always have well, a lot of value. You need to fight for it, blah, blah, you know, that kind of. Well, I think we, we live in a different age now as well, don't we? we you know, the, 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 the generation below us, um, and especially if you're looking at people who are reaching retirement age now and they're looking at the next generation or maybe even the generation below that, they have been ex- they've been exposed to a completely different world. And, and, and they, they see more opportunities. They see things from a global perspective. Do they want to continue doing what their father did or their grandfather did? Yeah. yeah. Especially co- when it's in it, yeah. Yeah, quite often they don't. And I think if they've been part of that business, again, um, I think that there are times when they think, I just want to go and do something else now. Yeah. People don't have that same sort of mentality of having a career for life. Because, you know, as we're always saying about the software industry, it's software industry in particular, it's the fastest paced business sector in the world. True. There are are positives with that. There are some great positives. There are also some negatives to that. And that's one of the points I wanted to make here. Um, But the the idea of having a career for life, it it doesn't really make sense. And I think I, I can see that because I've got youngsters my children who are at that age now who are starting their career they're thinking about what they want to do in the future they've not it wasn't that long ago when they were at school trying to decide what do i want to be which most of our jobs mark you can't learn in school no i mean no, i have can't. to explain to my kids what i do they look to me and a few years ago they thought because i was traveling so much they thought i was a pilot I mean, that was, I, I really thought, I have a problem. I need to stop traveling like this. <laughs> well, my, one of my daughters, because of the, the traveling, she thought, she thought I was some form of a spy. She yeah, didn't, oh, she that's didn't, cool. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah, she didn't understand the concept of mergers and acquisitions. And she, thought, she thought I was a spy, honestly. And you, and you told her, you should see my watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I did have a, I did have a silver car, which was a bit sort of James Bondy at the time, yeah. so it yeah. probably part of it. I, I also, I don't, I ever told you this. There was a youngster that I met with a friend, and he thought he misheard me, and he thought I was in murders and executions, yeah. not murders and executions. That's <laughs> that's quite an interesting career path. But the point yeah. I was going to make is, yeah. if you were sitting here today as a 16, 17, 18 year old and saying, "What do I want to be in twenty years' time?" That job probably hasn't been invented. <laughs> no, but my kids are, are like, let's say, between 9 and 11, and they want to be YouTube stars and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. And then I'm thinking, they ask me, where can we learn this? And I'm like, you can't actually. Yeah, you can learn it on YouTube, but I, I also think some, some cha- massive changes are up for schools. It's just not following. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That 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 is difficult, isn't it? because you know there's there's a a younger generation and they're spending more time on youtube than they are looking at tv by the way which is not bad eh? because they they, because they 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 can can actually see what they want to see i used to have to watch this show and it was bad and i had some there we go so they are i mean they become more critical but also i hope to themselves because then they need to deliver eh? yes I think I think where the problem is 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 where their their ambition is just to be famous. Have you yeah, come across that's that? That's empty. Yeah, yeah I see it a lot. I see what does that, that mean? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's, for me, that's one of the worst things. That's one of the last things I would want to be is famous. Just famous. I think that's a horrible way to live myself. But I, I don't think they realize the impact of being famous. That's the whole point of it. But anyway, but so, hey, Mark, come on, you. So, when we were younger, we wanted to be, I mean, we were playing kings and soldiers, and we wanted to be famous in, in our world on those days. So I think nothing changed, actually, just a different scale of things. It I seems think- more easy because you know you cannot be king, but you can be a YouTube star. It's possible, yes. Yeah. Yes. Although statistically, it's going to be the same stats, by the way, as, as becoming suddenly princess. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I can understand the appeal. I mean, you look yeah. at some of those top YouTube stars, they're earning 50 million a year. Yeah, but there are not so many, eh, by no, the way. No, you're, you're The real ones, there are not so many. No. What's the chart? And, you, and you're com- again, this is another theme within the software industry. They're competing on a global scale. They're not going to be the best people, you know, within their town, their village, their their region. Probably their nobody knows them in their no. country or region or city or no. whatever. And yeah. how do you how do you learn? Because the best way to be able to achieve again, this relates to, you know, business, is to be able to find somebody that's done it before. How do they, how do they learn from these people? I mean, I know that there are these courses. Yeah. <laughs> how to yeah. become an overnight success, that sort of thing. But yeah. I mean... Some buy, buy their way in. There's a, lot of, yeah. there's a lot of snake oil out there, isn't there, being, being yeah. sold. But um, still, you know, one of the themes that we keep coming back in all the podcasts is production. If you want to go, start with something. Feel, smell, do it. Oh yeah, I mean, that, that, that. let me let me finish off because what I was saying, that, and that's a really good point because that was another thing that came up, and I jotted a few things down. Was, you know, looking at the business, I tend to start with the entrepreneur to say, okay, let's assume the business is sold. What are you going to do next? Let's create your future next step. Let's start to talk about that, and then move back from there, because. Mm-hmm. 
where they want to be. I'm, I'm hoping that my clients don't just get from me the sale of a business and a, and a good valuation and money in the bank. I want that I want that to be a significant change in their life to make a life change to them. And that's not all about money. It can, that can be part of it. But it's what would you ideally want to do? That also can structure the, can structure the deal, which means maybe, and, and you know, there's a lot of misconceptions here is a lot of people come to me and say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do the three-year earner. I know that I'm going to have to do it. No, you don't. Who told you that? Who sold you on that yeah. idea? You don't at all. But there are there are occasions when you you take a clean slate and you say to somebody to create your ideal next step lifestyle. What would you be doing? And they say to me, "Well, actually, this aspect of business, I really love this. I like being the innovator or the evangelist. I'd like to continue doing that." And I really know this. This really fires me up. I just don't like the rest of this stuff around the business. Well, I say to them, well, how about if we were to sell your business, but you continued that as a consultant or as part of that business and you retained some shares? How would that mm -hmm. work? And all of a sudden, you can start to see there's a, a light. It's, it's a light comes on within the person yeah. because they're starting to create, they've got something solid in front of them, that, that future next step. And then we work backwards. And that's what I think is, is really key to that. And I, I, the, the point that you made about pace, I was talking to one of the other guys about software businesses and saying, actually, software businesses are unique. You know, I've done an estimate. There's probably 150,000 software businesses worldwide. I don't know if you've ever seen these stats on that, but that's something that's sort of picked up from various sources. Um, I don't think it will be far out. It won't be spot on, but it won't be far out. Software businesses are a unique business. First of all, and we've mentioned it many times, they're fast-paced. We probably at some stage need to explain what we mean by fast pace and what the consequences are that. But the real key thing is you've got exponential scalability with software. When you get to a certain size and you've created a solution and you start to sell multiple copies of software, whether that's SaaS or you know whether that's on-premise, an interesting fact, just throw it into the conversation here. We've been doing some studies of the fastest growing software companies. 100% of them offered the SaaS cloud solution, 100%. They also, 66% also offered on-premise as well, but 100% offered the SaaS cloud version. That says something about where we are now. You take, you take the conversation back sort of five years, 10 years. There was, there, you know, there was a lot of doubt and, and skepticism, but that's changed. But yeah. it's that ability to be able to sell, whether you sell 100 copies or 100,000 copies, your cost doesn't increase like it does in other businesses. You know, if you're manufacturing cars, you've got a big cost base that increases. There's, there's obviously the scale and your profit does increase, but not to the same extent you do with software. It increases, but it's negligible compared with other types of businesses. You have support, and that's obviously where the SaaS model becomes more attractive. If you're able to standardize and you're able to support that centrally, your, your profitability for those businesses is really, really high. And that's why software businesses are so attractive to investors. 
And that's why, this is another fact I was going to show, throw in, which has come from recent research that we've done. 40,000 software companies have been acquired since 1995. 40,000. That's a lot, huh? Yeah. You're on fire, Mark. You're on fire. I'm just listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've been doing all the talking well, this time. Yeah. <laughs> I should get a coffee. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I could have had Rosie sitting there listening to me for all no, the time no, I'm giving I'm you. I'm sitting somewhere in Antwerp in, a, in again in some co-working thinking, what am I doing here on a Friday? <laughs> I, I listed a lot of things down because I, I, I find that really interesting is, is talking to owners about the really most important subjects about the business because I do think that getting getting the work-life balance correct creating a better life for you and your family is what it's really about that's what i see my job as it is about selling businesses but it's selling businesses for a reason because i think if you, if the business is sold correctly and it's prepared correctly it also creates a better future for the people that remain within the business because it gives them a career path so yeah you probably heard a bit of passion in my voice because i believe in all of that that's the <laughs> bit that's the bit that really gets me going and I think done the right way, if you're not, you know, if you look at it with a, a much broader view and you're not a, a bean counter who looks at the sale of businesses as a process and a, and a multiplication on an Excel spreadsheet, that's the bit that, that annoys me. And that's when I get quite outspoken. In, in passionate, what passionate, Mark. Passionate. Yeah, passionate. That's the word. Your Italian <laughs> side, that uh, your lingering dormant Italian side that suddenly pops up. <laughs> yeah. You cannot put the cheese on the pasta. Yeah, <laughs> what are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> yeah, I and mean, that's that's what it feels like sometimes. And it, I, I even feel like that when people come to me, and I think this these guys have spoken to, you know, half a dozen other M and A companies, and they're asking me all the standard wrong questions. You know, and they're focused in totally the wrong way. That's really frustrating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know what we've over we've over gone our time? Oh, thirty three minutes. And I must admit, I can't blame you this this week. <laughs> Once, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll keep my powder for next week. Yes. <laughs> so I think we better wrap things up. Um, to thank people for listening today. It was quite interesting to get your feedback because you said that you were listening to our last episode in the car and uh, you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it once we started laughing and making jokes and, 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 yeah. and really interaction. So we need to we need to introduce it a bit more. Even. Yes, that's right. Yes, I think, I think humor is really important in business and I think it helps to, to stimulate your thinking. It makes things more fun. So let's see if we can keep that in our in our podcast as well. Yeah. So perfect. this this was the Bossit podcast. I think that we're up to episode fifteen now. Yeah. So we're really moving along. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please put a like. Uh, please make a comment as well. Give us some feedback, and if you've got any questions, just let us know, and we'll we'll try to incorporate it. But um, thank you very much for today, Michael. Sorry, I was talking so much. And, no stress. Uh, thank you, Mark. I'll give you more airtime next time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Catch a lot. you later. Cheers, Michael. Bye.